Well, today is one of the most exciting days for me as a, a pastor here since I accepted the call to serve here at Living Word. It's not exciting because I love meetings, but it's exciting because today we have the opportunity as a congregation to confirm God's call upon the lives of two men who I truly believe God has given to this congregation as a gift of His grace to us. If you're new here, if you haven't heard today, we will be at our meeting after the service voting to affirm God's call of Billy Scott and Ryan Carey to serve our congregation in the role and in the office of elder. So today I wanted to preach on a passage of scripture that speaks very directly to God's will and purpose and understanding for this office. It can be a little bit challenging for us as Americans to have a biblical understanding of how God has designed the church. Most of us here have been raised in a constitutional republic in which we elect representatives who, at least in theory, are supposed to be our voice in the democratic process to make decisions to govern on our behalf. But where that gets a little bit challenging is in regard to how decisions are made in the local church. On one hand, we have what is called a congregational form of church governance. Members of the congregation approve budgets, elect leaders, and and this is important work. It's necessary work because the church is this unique and fascinating entity that always exists with one foot in the kingdom of this world and one foot in the kingdom of God. Here's what I mean. North Dakota law has requirements that we must follow in order to, for example, be exempt from paying property tax. We have to file articles of incorporation. We have to have a registered agent like any other corporation. We have to have a board of directors to handle our finances. The IRS, the federal government, has requirements that we have to follow regarding things like payroll procedures, 501c3 status, It ensures that we aren't treated like a for-profit entity. So we always have one foot in the kingdom of this world. We have to have some level of corporate organization which requires us to decide things like how we elect and who can elect leaders, how we make decisions about budgets, how we amend our governing documents, things like the boring stuff like that. But then there are areas in which we are called to operate very differently than the kingdom of this world. For example, I am not a CEO. There are certain administrative and we might say executive functions that you've entrusted to me, but those are never the most important part of what I do. Similarly, God has designed his church to be led not by a CEO or even by a board of directors, but by elders. And that's an important distinction, that when we hold our business meeting following the service today, our congregation will not be electing a board of directors, but will be affirming the Holy Spirit's call upon shepherds and overseers. We don't merely elect people to represent us in the church, as if the church was just another democratic or representative government, but we are entrusting our ministry direction entrusting our spiritual care to overseers. 
There are generally three words that the Bible uses to refer to this office. You ready for your Greek lesson for the day? Here are three Greek words. The first one is presbyteros, which is usually translated in your Bible as elder. Second word is poimen, which is usually translated as shepherd. A couple translations use the word pastor. And then there's episkopos, which is usually translated overseer, occasionally bishop. Now, something interesting happens in the scriptures. Both the apostle Paul and the apostle Peter use all three of these words to describe the elders in the local church. We heard Peter's instructions to the churches in Asia Minor, where he uses all three of these Greek words to refer to the elders in the local church. And then in Acts chapter 20, our sermon text for today, Paul will do the exact same thing. He will use all three of these words to describe the calling and the responsibility of church elders. All three are fitting in their description of the calling that God has placed on those to whom our spiritual care is entrusted. Well, we're going to read our scripture text now from Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 17. This is God's word to us. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time that I was with you, from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away my disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you, night and day, with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, who can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you that your word is living and active, and we thank you that your word shows us our sin, that it reveals 
your answer for sin, that it creates faith, that it makes us more like you. We, we pray that you would do all of these things as we consider your word today. May we leave this morning with a greater and deeper appreciation and love for your church, for those who you have called to serve us and to lead us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In route elsewhere, Paul stops in a port city for several days, and he calls for the elders of the church in Ephesus to come and to meet with him. And this passage serves really as a beautiful farewell address from Paul to the leaders of this congregation that he loved so dearly. Paul assumed that he would never see them again. And so his message is fatherly and pastoral. It is somber and yet encouraging. And this message, which is the only recorded message of Paul in the book of Acts, that we see directed toward believers, within this message we see four things quite clearly. First, we see an example of faithful ministry. Look at verse 19. Paul says, I serve the Lord with great humility and with tears, and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Paul outlines his faithful ministry as the church planter, the one who started this church in Ephesus, and also in his role as consistent encourager of this congregation. He was the mentor, we can assume, for most of these elders. And what does he say regarding his ministry? Notice the descriptors. He says, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears. Again, it's important to note that Paul isn't standing on the rooftops announcing how humble he is. He's speaking to a small group of people that he loved dearly and who dearly loved and admired him. They knew all about Paul. They had lived with Paul. They had seen him work as their pastor, as their shepherd. And so this isn't a humble brag from Paul. This is a reminder of what is one of the key traits for someone in the office of elder or pastor. In fact, I'd argue that humility is a trait that's central to the life of any Christian, not only those in leadership. Remember that in in Matthew chapter 11, when he's describing what it means to be a disciple, Jesus takes a moment to describe his own heart. How does he describe himself? He describes his own heart as gentle and humble. Paul is modeling for these local church elders the necessity of humility in the heart of a leader. And of course, we have great reason to be humble. Paul knows that, and just as he says in 1 Timothy, that he is the chief of sinners. And I am the chief of sinners. And you are the chief of sinners. And so when we realize that Jesus died to save sinners, of whom I am chief, the natural result is always humility. There's no room for pride, no room for 
boasting for the person, for the child of God who realizes what he has been saved from. One of my most frequent items of prayer for myself uh, is that God would protect me from pride, that God would keep me humble. If you remember my very first sermon as your pastor, October 7th, 2018, some of you remember the title of that sermon, some of you remind me of it frequently, three reasons you should fire me. The first reason on the list, if I ever make this about me. And that remains true. It, it grieves me when I look around the church in America today and see how person-focused, how man-focused many prominent ministries have become, and it's true in the local church as well. Pastors who, who place themselves at the center, who need accolades, who need the spotlight, and it's not just big churches, it's small churches too. I have the, the joy and responsibility of being entrusted by our denomination to sit on our theological council. And a big part of our work as a council is the work of screening and examining pastoral candidates. One of the major attributes that I look for in that process is humility. Such a key component of successful ministry, healthy ministry. It's central to having a truly healthy congregation. But Paul doesn't end there in his description of faithful ministry. He also says that he served the Lord not only with humility, but with tears. His calling to leadership in the church is not only one of humility, but also of bearing great burdens. Since Ryan and, and Billy began as elder candidates and have been meeting with Mark and, and myself, uh, we always begin our times together by uh, sharing prayer concerns that we're aware of in our congregation, in our community, in our families, spending time praying over those needs. The role of elder is one of burden-bearing. I've had conversations and I've had times of confession in my office where people have shared secrets, struggles, failures with me that I cannot and will not share with another human being that I will carry with me to the grave. These men aren't before us today seeking out the office of elder because it's glamorous, because they desire prominence, because they're under the illusion that it's all fun and games. It's because they love you. It's because they love our congregation. They're grateful for the role that our congregation has played in their spiritual development, and they desire to come alongside and bear your burdens. They desire to sit with you in your moments of deepest grief. They're also aware of the challenges that Paul mentions at the end of verse 19, the trials of persecution. We certainly don't feel this in the way that Paul did. There are sufferings experienced by church leaders and Christians alike. Paul shows us even more uh, in this description of faithful ministry. Look at verse 20. He says, I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in Jesus. Paul's description about faithful ministry is not just humility. It's not just the tears that accompany that role. 
but it's also a boldness in preaching the word and calling people to repentance. We'll talk more about that later. In our text today, we see Paul's example of faithful ministry, humility, suffering, declaring repentance and faith. And and second, we see a Christ-centered view of life. Look at verse 24. I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race, to complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Rather than task, you might also see the word service or ministry. Any way it's translated, the message remains clear. Paul saw his singular purpose in living as being part of the mission of God. His purpose, the meaning behind his life was wrapped up in proclaiming the gospel, in testifying to the good news of God's grace. Paul had a Christ-centered view of life. He knew that true life is found, full life is found in giving yourself over to Christ for his purpose, for his use. Now, don't hear this the wrong way. This doesn't mean that nothing else has any value. It's not what Paul's saying. It doesn't mean that your job doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that recreation and time with family and friends are insignificant. It doesn't mean that you abandon all hobbies, but it does mean that we guard everything else closely. Make sure that we remain on mission. We guard our lives to make sure that things stay in their proper place and in the proper order. We make wise decisions about our time and about where we focus our energies so that we keep the main thing the main thing. The temporal, think about this, the temporal always has a way of stealing from the eternal. If we aren't careful, if we aren't intentional. Paul is so good in all of his speaking and writing, at at causing us to reflect, at forcing us to sort of look within our own hearts, examine our hearts. Can I say, can I honestly say that, as Paul does, that the only thing that truly matters in my life is proclaiming the gospel of God's grace? Do I have a Christ-centered view of life? Do I live my life in view of eternity? What else do we see in this passage? Third, we see that Paul gives a description of the calling and responsibility of elders. Look at verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves. Those are powerful words. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock with which The Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Paul summarizes the calling of these elders to whom he's speaking very clearly in just a few verses. Verse 28 is powerful. He encourages them to keep watch, to pay careful attention first to themselves and then to the flock. This gets to the heart of that word overseer 
that showed up in our text a couple of times. Keep watch. Pay attention. In verse 31, be on your guard. Of course, those of us living in ranching country might understand the analogy that Paul's using here a little better than some others do. That there are dangers both within the herd, within the flock, and outside the herd, outside the flock. And it's the calling of the rancher or the shepherd to protect the animals under their care from themselves, from their own stupidity, from their own ignorance, but also from attacks from the outside. And this is tricky business for elders in a local church. Usually when, when the elders or when the pastor protects a congregation from false teaching or ill-intentioned outsiders, it's, it's popular work. Nobody has a problem with it. But where it gets tricky is when the threat is coming from the inside. When the elders or the pastor have to deal with poisonous teaching, dissension, conflicts, disruptive people within the congregation. In our global society with social media and YouTube, you are free to curate the message that you want to hear. You can pause, fast forward, or turn off the pastor who's speaking hard truth. You can gravitate toward the people who tickle your ears or reinforce your politics or make you comfortable. The job and the calling of local elders has become even more difficult. If I say something that you don't like, you can find 20 people online who don't know you and don't care about you but who will reinforce what you want to hear. That's the reality of the world that we live in. In an era in which church attendance is low and there's a smorgasbord of spiritual material online, that the local church is actually more important than it's been in the past. Peter's call for each of us is to submit ourselves to our elders. It's not just true of congregations, it's true of pastors too. To be a disciple of Jesus is to live in submission to those whom God has placed over us. And I need that. That's one of the reasons that it's been a top priority for us to have additional elders here at Living Word. Because it's not just the congregation who needs someone to submit to, it's the pastor as well. I'd be a fool to think that I'm spiritually sound and strong enough on my own, that I'm above the need to submit. I love the idea of having three, and hopefully in the years ahead, five, six, seven elders that I live and minister and lead and preach in submission to. People who have permission to call me out, to question my motives, and maybe most importantly to proclaim the gospel to me when I need it. You see, elders are a gift of God's grace to a congregation. And it's critical that we all remember that they're a gift, not only when they're encouraging us, but also when they're correcting us. When they are, to use the scripture's metaphor, when they're having to use their staff to prod us back into the fold. When they're out of love, fulfilling their call to ensure that no false teaching enters our congregation. Now, if you were paying attention at the beginning of the sermon, I chose my language 
uh, very carefully. I said that today we are voting to affirm the call of Billy and Ryan to serve as elders at Living Word. That perspective is, is really important because we see in verse 28 that we are not the ones who call people to serve in this role. We are not the ones who issue the call, even as existing elders, tasked by our constitution with nominating others to this office. It's not Mark and I who issue the call. Who does Paul say that responsibility belongs to? Verse 28, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit made you overseers. This is true. It was true when you called me to serve as pastor. It's true when we call people to serve as elders. We are not the source nor the authority behind the call. But when I took the call to Living Word, Mark and Adam and I were praying that God would raise up additional elders, that he would make it clear who he was calling to serve alongside of us in these callings and roles in this congregation. And that has been, I know for myself, a regular prayer, consistent matter of prayer since I came here. And now, some 40 months later, God has brought us to this place where we have two qualified, gifted, humble men who fear and love God and who have proven their love and care for this church. They're before us today. So what is our role in the process biblically? We are tasked with confirming whether or not the Holy Spirit is calling these men to serve us and lead us. It's not a question of whether they're perfect. They're not. I can tell you that. Their wives will tell you that. I'm not perfect. Far from it. It's not a matter of whether they would maybe even be our first choice personally. It's a matter of prayerful affirmation of the Holy Spirit's calling and leading and equipping. We've seen Paul's example of faithful ministry, his Christ-centered view of life, his description of the calling of elders in the local church. And fourth, I want to share just briefly, we see the centrality of God's word in life and ministry. I want to trace this message through our text for you. I think it really could be traced through all of Paul's epistles as well. But it's so clear here in just a handful of verses. We'll start in verse 20. Look at verse 20. Paul says, You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you. Then 21, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks. Verse 24, my only aim is to finish the race, complete the task. What's the task? Testifying to the good news of God's grace. Verse 25, now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom. Verse 27, I have not hesitated to proclaim. And then finally, verse 32, now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace. Do you see what Paul's doing here? It's as if Paul is crafting in this mini-sermon a mosaic. And when we take a step back and we look at it as a whole, when we see all of what he's crafted, that in basically every other verse of this passage, there's this reminder, this reinforcement of the, the centrality of God's word for the work of the elder, for the life of the Christian. The call that is upon myself and Mark and with your 
affirmation today upon Billy and Ryan is to be servants of the word. To guard ourselves and the congregation. To protect the unity of the church and the purity of the gospel. To defend against a whole host of false gospels that are so abundant and prevalent today. There are many things involved in the office of elder. It's our calling to care for the hurting, to minister to the needy, to encourage the saints, to provide oversight and leadership and direction, serving and praying. But at the very core, at the very center to this call is the ministry of the word. To proclaim, to testify, to teach, to encourage, to correct, and even occasionally to rebuke, to to fight for the purity and integrity of the gospel in this congregation. Why is the word central? Paul answers that question at the end of verse 32. Because the word of his grace builds us up and gives us an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. It is his word that is living and active. It is his word that changes us. It is his word that saves us. The word is central to the congregation, to the people of God. The word is the source of faith. The word is what brings us to repentance. The word is what reveals our need for a savior. The word is at the very core of who we are. God's word is the source of our hope and our life. And so he has called and equipped shepherds and overseers to proclaim and to protect, to encourage and to equip, to serve and to seek out, not to lord it over the church, but to be examples in selfless service and thoughtful leadership. By God's grace, may that be true of the elders of living word. It's my prayer that these words of Paul would define how we serve you. Pray for us. Pray for God's guidance and wisdom and strength and courage. And above all, pray that we would be men of the word, servants of the word, who are faithful to the word, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Let's pray. Gracious God, I thank you for just this beautiful, heartfelt sermon from Paul to this group of local church elders who were so close to his heart. Lord, I pray that all that Paul encouraged these elders to be would be true of me, would be true of our elders here at Living Word. I thank you for these men who have sensed your call. I thank you for Mark and for Billy and for Ryan, for their unique gifts, for their love for your church, for their passion for the gospel, for their servant hearts. Lord, may you encourage and strengthen them today as they serve you. And may we, as those that you have called to lead this congregation, always be faithful to you and to your word. Lord, we thank you for this church family. Protect us from those savage wolves who seek to pervert your gospel and destroy us through false teaching. Keep us close to you 
Keep us in submission to the true and only shepherd of the sheep. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.